He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Delray Beach, Florida, here's Bruno DiGiulio. And welcome on this first week of February of 2021, and, and Lord, time flies. Ron Flatter is on with us from Las Vegas. Ron, can you believe it's February already of 2021? Well, in terms of the incarceration uh, coming up on 11 months, so yeah, I'm just hoping that we can get to a point where we're not marking the walls of the prison anymore and we can actually get out freely again. But while we wait, we watch horse races, and isn't that the wonderful bond that just ties us all together here? And thankfully we have that. Yeah, and you know, the, the Holy Bull and the um, Robert, B., uh, Robert Lewis was this past weekend, and that's another thing that can bond us all, is going to mm-hmm. march in these races together, that otherwise we would have been watching them, you know, at the track, or, um, and I, I got some opinions about that, and I got some opinions about... Um, about the Holy Bull and uh, and especially about the Robert Lewis. So uh, why don't we cue it up? We had a great, great um, uh, Zoom class, and uh, we talked about a lot of other things, even the mental aspect of of the horse player, things to do and things not to look at. If you want to, if you want to have probably an open mind when you're watching a race, um, I think you enjoyed it, um, Fletch. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I, uh, that's an inside joke. I've often said my name is Ron Fletch, a flat Franklin Flatter. Yeah, so that's an old. It's an old joke where I don't know my own name. Well, let's go right to the Zoom, Franklin. Let's do it. We've got uh, kind of a a fun next hour, hour and a half, ninety minutes for you. Good to see everybody on board. Good to see George. Uh, let's see. I got Pete here. John's here. David, David, good to see you. We miss yeah, you. Yeah, good to see you. Got Kevin, Roger, Mr. Sean Frank, and if I'm missing anybody, I apologize. Hey, uh, Ron, why don't we just kick it off? I know you wanted to go, and uh, you have some uh, things you wanted to share. First of all, there's a couple of things I wanted to look at, Bruno, and it's as fresh as the most recent Kentucky Derby preps. And I wanted to go back, and I've done it. I, I mean, before we started. Was it David who was uh, offering the testimonial to how his handicapping has changed as a result of these Zoom sessions? And I have to admit, I'm doing very much the same, diving in where you have, and that's to go look at old video of new races. And in particular, the two winners of the preps that happened last weekend, we've seen, of course, the usual reaction here in Las Vegas, a lot of money coming in on them and a lot of movement by the bookmakers to brace themselves for that money. But I'm wondering if we could take a look at the races of these two horses. And I'm wondering if you saw what I saw and I'm looking for validation of what I saw with those, with those two winners of both the Robert B. Lewis at Santa Anita and the Holy Bull at Gulfstream. So um, why don't we do that? And of course the two horses would be greatest honor in Medina spirit if you're playing along at home and typing in names yourself. Why don't we start in uh, with greatest honor? Mm-hmm. So now we're going to go into the race where Prime Factor was the heavy favorite off of uh, just a really, really strong race. I'm going to tell you right now, I don't like the way Prime Factor is traveling. They went 143 and 19. I want to say something. They give uh, it was a 143-19 race. And when our track announcer, P, says 143 flat, that's dead wrong. He's down, he's, he's, he's saying 143 flat, and that's within one one hundredth of a second of 43 and one. Just remember that. He rounded down instead of rounding up to 43 and one. Um, and that's usually a problem that you see because that's misleading. A fifth of a length, a fifth of a, a second is equal to three to three points almost. Guys, I I got the race in 145 and one. Was that the first time you timed it, Bruno? Yeah. But I timed it right. I timed it right from the gate. Right. That's true. 
I had from the gate, every split was correct until the final time. It's crazy. Two seconds is what? Ten lengths? Yeah, pretty much close. Yeah. More like 12. Well, who cares? Now you guys are splitting. Now you guys are splitting hairs on that one. It all depends on the distance. I got a 45 and one again. So I will say it's a 60 foot run up. There is no 60. It cannot be. That's what it says on the chart. I'm just telling you what the chart says. But it can't be because every split was right from the gate. I'm just telling you what the chart says. Don't kill the messenger. I know. (laughs) So, but you suck, Ron. I know. But if screw me, I wrote 60 on the chart. A 60 foot run up is about a second. This is two seconds. Let's say it's a 1.3 second start. See, with the run-up, if there is a run-up, that would be a 20 and 4 split. Unless that track is goes doesn't go to the poles. It goes to a different spot. Didn't they just say they're going to replace trackers or something? Yeah, they better. But all my splits from the gate are correct, except the final time. I hate short stretch races, guys. I absolutely hate them. They're yeah, no good. They're no good for the horses. It teaches them to finish at the wrong wire. You know, this horse, to me, is, is a horse that is made. See, for example, I'm going to take them at the top here. They go 123 and 2 for 7 eighths, okay? Which fits right in with the time. 111 2 to 123 and 2. He came home in uh, two and a half in, uh, in 2028 and change, which doesn't make sense. The timing of this race, to me, the wire does not make sense. I think this race right here is a slow race. So. Yes, the wire is at the 16 pole, Mill, uh, Matt. Yes, I know that, and yes, I did. I do hit it at the 16 pole. Um, I hate these races. Came home at about 31 and 31 and four, which is about a 38, which is about what I had. All right. So here's my opinion on greatest honor. I think he won a race that everybody stopped in. When I look at that race, to me, greatest honor isn't powering away from that group. He's basically just finishing better than the rest. Tarantino that ran second wasn't going anywhere and he beat Prime Factor who was basically struggling. It's a typical holy bull for me that the winner ends up looking better than what, and, and you know, everybody, ooh. No, no, that horse needs to be better. He, you know, and it's a short turn, it's short stretch. So basically in this stretch, you only had to go at um, three sixteenths of a mile or less. I don't have him really beaten up on any major horse. And I don't think anybody ran other than him. So all the hoopla and the hype. And and one thing I did notice, he laid a, he did break slow, but he laid a lot closer today. And I, I just don't trust the times. I just can't. I mean, I timed it twice at 145 and one. There's not a two second run up. 60 feet. Let me give you an example. 72 feet at Santa Anita for the sprints at six furlongs. It's 2.4 seconds for the sprinters. You mean to tell me that router is going to have a 60 foot run up? And they're going to be and they're going to be two and it's going to take more than two seconds for them to do it no no that time isn't right so now what what is the fallout from that 
Um, the fallout is, first of all, everybody's number is going to be based on the 143 and 1. And if you know you can't trust that, let's say it's a buyer figure. What did they give him in a buyer? Anybody know what he what the greatest honor got? 89. Okay. Yeah, 89. Okay. So if he got an 89 and it's a 143 and 1, what did he get to the race before that? 83. Okay. Um, if we time the race correctly, let's say it's even a 144 and 1. That's four. A mile and a 16th is 1.9 for every fifth of a second. So that would be uh, four fifths of a second. That would be eight points. It'd be about an 81. It would be the equivalent almost of what he ran at a mile and a 16th the other day. The first that uh, when he uh, the uh, two back. I, I got my questions. I got my big time questions that I think people made a knee jerk reaction and think how great the source was. I think he got a perfect trip with nobody in front of him and nobody behind him. Funny, oh. I wrote that very thing. <laughs> I'm learning something, Bruno. Well, well, that you know what? That's really good though. See, I, I love to hear that that, you know, you're paying attention and you're using, just like Kevin, you know, he's using what he's, what we're talking about. And my, it's not about, for me, it's not about my knowledge. For me, it's about just making you think and open your eyes. That's all. Well, and, and I, I hit the try in this race. Um, and I actually went against what you said on Tarantino. I thought he could hit the board based on the pace in the race. This was, but as I watched it, I'm like, this is unfolding in a, in a dreamlike setting. I'm like, when I see now, what's funny is the fractions I saw pop up may have been very wrong, but as they popped up, I was, I got more and more optimistic as the race wore on. But that's the problem when you have with these short stretch races, you have a problem that these times are not correct. So, this is the one thing I want to teach every, each and every one of you, if you don't do it already. Stop looking at the splits. Watching that race early, I did not feel they were going 23-1 and one and 46 and change. That can be the, your eyes. I, I, I used to recall sitting in the press box at Santa Anita at a mile and an eighth on the grass at, and, and with no run-up. And they would go 24 and 2. And Trevor would say, they're flying out there. He's not looking at the splits. He's looking at the horses. You can look at the horses and you can tell when they're flying and when they're not. And he would be ridiculed in the press box. There was an ignorance that in, in, in that press box of no run up at a mile and an eighth with the derails down. And in fact, there was a 1.2 second difference from the time the button was touched by the starter and the timing and the gates open and the timing and, and that I would always hit it when the gates open and I would get a 1.2 difference in time. Meaning that if they went 24 and three, that was really 23 and two. And without a run of it could have been 22 and one. So Trevor was right. But because people look at those splits, that's what's going to cause you to be confused. Stop looking at them. They're not going to help you. They're not your friend. They're not right most of the time. Uh, I'll give you a great example. And Mike Baychuk's not here. When Mike Baychuk won the um, NHC championship, um, there was a number of guys that were playing that I was uh, that we were playing with, uh, and and Pete, you might remember this, uh, Pete Renato. Um, there was a ten claimer or a, an eight claimer that ran a mile race earlier in the sat in the first day's card on a Friday, and. I had big red marks on it. Loved the horse. He was 30 to 1. Oscar Barrera II trained it. And what I loved about it is he had had a 
prep race where he finished the distant fifth or sixth, where they ran a seven furlong race that I noticed was run right, the, the gate was right at the pole. So the first quarter was 23 and four from a standstill start. Because you, you've seen the, those races at Gulfstream where the gate is right on the, on, on, on the pole. And I was looking at it and I go, that's not 23 and change. That's a 21 and change split that the horse was chasing and he got tired. Now he was coming back and stretching out to a mile. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to be right on the lead and probably be in front. And I picked him on that. And the funny story with that is um, one of my friends played it. Michael did not. And Davidowitz was also playing. The late Steve Davidowitz was playing. And he called me that night bitching and complaining that he had a bunch of seconds. And I said, well, Steve, didn't you play that three horse that I had on top at 30 to one? I had look on it. I had every red whistle and, and, you know, and red around it. And he said, no, Bruno, you did not call me to tell me to play that horse. And Pete's laughing. <laughs> you know, and I, and I remember saying, Steve, do I have to call you? It's in red. But Bruno, you got to call me on horses like that. You know? Yeah. And then I never have you stop calling me, you know, for every race to see if I have something. Pete, you find that funny. Was that good enough? It was a very good impersonation. <laughs> you know, Peter, I always thought you had some good, good brains in your head. <clears throat> I can't do that. I lose my voice. I could do a conversation with Steve Davidis and Andy Byer, and you probably couldn't tell who was talking. You could do it from the slow pace of Andy Byer. Okay, I'm going to mute flatter. <laughs> um, that was quite consequential in your analysis there, Ron. Um, but the whole thing was, is if... If, if I had just looked at the times and used those times, I never would have come up with that, that they gave you. And I just really need you guys to stop looking at those splits in the corner. There's another reason why. If you're looking for the splits in the corner, you're not looking at the horses. What did I say down the backside about, about Prime Factor? He didn't like the way he was moving. Right. Would I have noticed that if I was looking up in the corner for the splits? Of course not. You know? So that's just something that look at the splits after the race. Or do what I do is I look at the way they go around the track and make my own mind the way, what kind of what kind of pace and what kind of finish there was. I guarantee you, you do it enough times, you'll get really good at it. Watch the way they move. That's very important. All right, let's jump over. I got a few notes here. You're Stuart, you're right. The 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 short wire at Gulfstream is not 16 pole. Just to even compound the issue, I hate short stretch races at Gulfstream Park. I hate them. Did I say I hate them? <laughs> Bruno, when they move the finish line up closer to the front of the stands as opposed to the end of the stands, how do you feel about that shorter stretch? <laughs> <laughs> How many want me to mute Flatter? <laughs> Not me. Never. I love that guy. That guy, he's the best. That Ron Flatter, he's just the I, best all around. Oh, I'd vote to mute him in a heartbeat. <laughs> he, he, he's a, you know, uh, never mind. All right. Why don't, we're going to go now to uh, Mr. Flatter. What was the other race you wanted to do? There's actually yeah, uh, this race, and then I'm going to mention one coming up. But uh, for this one that just happened, is the Robert B. Lewis and Medina Spirit. 
which by the way i i knew um mr lewis very well um i happened to sit between him bob baffert mike mollica when he said bob i will never have dwayne lucas as a trainer and uh six months later serena's song um (laughs) i love mr lewis mr lewis was the nicest most you know, if you would win a race, he would find you and congratulate you. Um, he was just an awesome person. So let's go through all of Medina Spirit's races. Look at him gallop out. Look at him gallop out. I mean, that's – and I want to show you something down the stretch. Okay, watch right here how his ears are – he's got them back right now, okay? They're flopping. That left ear, that right ear is kind of doing a little bit more. It's almost to the side. Watch when he gets the lead. Where's his ears? Look at his ears. Straight up. He's waiting on horses. He's not – he, he, it's not like he's doing everything he can. And, and look at the rider. Look well at the riders just riding him hard. You see that left ear up? Look at him. This horse is loafing. I want to watch his head on now. So right away it tells me this horse is kind of waiting on the competition down the stretch. He wasn't 100% full out. Here he is here. He's pretty quick. For a big, big horse with a big, long stride, he's pretty quick. He's a bit of an odd mover, but they come from all shapes and sizes. But you see those ears up? Look at those ears up. He's, he's, not, he's not fully extended. You see them? This is a pattern we're going to see, Bruno. This is, this is something we got to seize on here. You, you, you're giving it away. Well, I saw the race Saturday. So, let's go on to the next race. Watch the one, wait for life is good to clear. Look at the the hole. Did you notice how he took that horse, basically let life is good get to the lead? He's still got a pretty good hold on that horse. Watch life is good out of the gate. He really didn't break all that great. And Mike quarter horse now the ears go straight up on life is good. He's alarmed about something. They're way too far. He wants to run off. While Medina Spirit is in the clear, he's got a little bit of an odd way. You notice, wait a minute. You remember the blinkers that was on him last time in the debut? Remember he wore blinkers? They're not on him anymore. There he goes. His ears went up again. But look at him gallop out with his ears straight up. And if you watch the stretch run again, and life is good is drifting out and stopping. Boy, life is good really pushed him out, didn't he? Yeah. I don't like life is good at all. So now we go to the next race. That 22 and 4 is a legitimate time at a mile and a 16th because they've only have a two-second a two run-up. At a mile where they ran earlier with life is good, they had a five-second run-up. Five seconds. It's like uh, 50-something yards before the timing begins at a mile race at Santa Anita. This is a legitimate, legitimate pace. Watch the aggressiveness here on the one where he didn't have it in, uh, in the race prior to that, the life is good. Floppy ears. Look at those ears go up and almost props. He switches to his right lead. His ears are straight up, straight up. He's waiting on horses. And now he's going to clock those horses to the wire. He's never, those horses will never get by him. He went the last half, the mile in 139 and uh, four with us 27 and uh, four last quarter. He's like Silver Charm, this horse. What was the run-up, Bruno? I, I did it from the mile pole. Um, oh, okay. I did it from the mile pole, but the run-up would only be about two seconds. Okay. Okay? Yep. So thank you. 160 feet on the chart. 160 feet? Yeah. 
pull up the mile that he ran against Life is Good and tell me what the mile was. I think the mile is, is still pretty much a long run-up. Pardon me. That is the 160 feet. See, I, I misinformed you. you can, That's what now I you said. can Now you can kill the messenger. On the, uh, on the Bob Lewis, 82. 82. Exactly. Exactly. So what happened, what happened with Medina Spirit is when he ran against Life is Good, they allowed Life is Good to go get the lead and grabbed Medina Spirit early. Yet Medina Spirit made a big run late anyway. He handled being having to take being taken back. In the Robert Lewis, they let him roll early. That horse has a ton of speed. But then you look at it and you say, who the heck is Protonico? I know Protonico pretty well. Let's find him. Protonico was a Pletcher. And I want to say it was a Rapoli. Actually, it was by Giants Causeway. It was 7 out of 16. He won the Smarty Jones at Parks. He won the Discovery at Aqueduct. He was second in the Clark, third in the Curlin, won the Alice Sheba, and won the Ben Ali in Kentucky, and third in Jockey Club. Half to African Fighter. The mayor was not, did not win. Is uh, out of a wild again uh, mayor, basically, or Houston, and with, that's a lot of speed there. But Protonico was an interesting horse. So when I, when I look at it and I see the Protonico, that's a Giants Causeway. There's a wild again in there. There's some Chilean bread in there. That horse is meant to go a long distance of ground. I think what you saw the other day at a, uh, in the Robert Lewis, I think that horse has got more in him than the time will show. So again, stop looking at the splits because that horse was just waiting on other horses. Bruno, from the standpoint that that was an eight and a half furlong race and he'll be asked to go 10 in three months, does this style, because he's waiting for other horses, should we not be fooled into thinking, okay, this guy was huffing and puffing at the end and he barely won. But he wasn't huffing and puffing. But he wasn't huffing. That's where I'm going. He, he, but novice, he wasn't huffing and puffing the, at the end. The novice, um, the person that doesn't pay attention and doesn't know what a huffing and puffing horse looks like than when a horse is basically just dogging the competition. Those are the guys that are always going to lose. You know, because they think they know and they don't know Jack. And that's what you get a lot when I tell you guys, cut out the noise. Do you tell more from the ears or yeah. the run out? No, the ears. And then he okay. rebroke at the wire and, and had more. He, he did it. He did it three times in a row now. There is a danger with that horse, though. The danger is he could be inside of another horse. And he's clocking that one horse on his outside, and he never see touch of, He never sees touch gold flying on his outside until it's too late. There was a horse I in my young my youth when I was hanging out with Jack B. Haynes, the trainer. He claimed a horse named Big Bad and Mean, and Big Bad and Mean was very much like that. And when Jack and and I told Jack when he claimed that Jack this horse waits on horses. I'll never forget it was nineteen either eighty eight or eighty nine. And we had Corey Nakatani was a bug boy for Tony Matos, rode him. And in the paddock, Jack goes, tell Corey what, what you want him to do. And I went, okay. I said, Corey, don't make the lead too soon. You make the lead too soon, he'll prop on you. So he was a horse from Arizona that had a lot of speed. And he duels early. And next thing you know, he's opened up three on the turn. At the 316 pole, he props. Just boom. Favorite was, I think I was a horse named Nuclear Attack for John Russell. 
and opened up three lanes on us at the eighth pole. We got beat by a neck. It came back on him. But my favorite was we went downstairs and I'm sitting there with Jack and Jack says, didn't we tell you not to open up? And Corey Nakatani looked at us and goes, I forgot. <laughs> True story. So, so when we're looking at this, he can be a dangerous source because he could be looking at the competition. I call these sticky horses. He can be a sticky type. But he's definitely very, very talented, and he can win, you know, a couple of races on the way. Ron, what else you got? The other one I wanted to bring up is the likely favorite in the Withers on Saturday, and I did talk to his trainer today uh, for in advance of my podcast on Friday, and the horse is Capo Kane, trained by Harry Weiner, who's the uh, who's a longtime assistant to Mark Hennig, who's branched out on his own for some years at Parks. Uh, he had New York traffic last year before COVID forced him to be moved to Florida with Safi Joseph, and the rest is history. The, well, that's uh, what's this guy's races. You know, the one thing with young trainers, when you give horses to a young, young trainer, you're basically paying for their their uh, their tuition. Capo Kane in front. Irish Honor late run. Here comes Irish Honor on the inside. Irish Honor with 70 on That's a really and bad rider on Irish Honor. Irish that Honor is wins a it horrible all rider on Capo Kane was second. No balance. Who was that? La Prida. Wow. Okay. That's a horrible rider. This is at Parks. The next one's at Aqueduct. Ron, who's riding them in uh, Saturday? Dylan Davis. God, I hate the way that guy sits on a horse. No control, up high. I mean, why don't you just put your head on on the back of his head? He looks like he's going to fall off. Horse is a good mover. Good looking horse. Capo Kane wasn't even being touched. He's no hand, right? He was just barely being... There he kind of bolted a little bit. See, this is all rider right here, guys. This is all rider. He's got no control of this horse. Capo Kane bared out just a bit coming off the turn. It's like the jockey couldn't make up his mind what he wanted to do. It's the rider. It's got, the, the horse knows what he wants. I mean, no, that's why I said the jockey. Yeah, oh, he's horrible. Look at him now. I mean, just, just no control. He's got no sense of where he is on the track. This horse with a good rider just improves 10 lengths. So then he shoves into New York. And this is Dylan Davis here. Going into this race, I didn't like Swill at all. I hated Swill. I thought he was a bona fide sprinter and a turf horse that they were going to run, that they're trying to stretch out. Look at the difference with Dylan Davis. He's got him here switching. He's got him restrained. He just slowed it down enough. He hasn't even moved on He doesn't want to switch leads right away into the turn. And he's very quirky. Now, that's the one difference. He's not drifting. Turning for home. He's not drifting. He's, he's, what he's doing is it's almost like he's shifting body weight. Would he be shifting body weight because he's got some sort of physical problem? You know, it's like almost like when you have a tire that's bald, either front or back. Your car's going to pull one way or the other. Could be. Could be how he's built behind. Could be stifles. I want to see him walking, coming that's, back. Th- that's what I wondered, Bruno, is at the back end that was coming out. Yeah, that would make that happen. Okay. Now, and that also begs this question, because if you look at his auction history, he's been through the sales ring four times, RNA'd once, but most recently sold for only twenty-six grand. He's by street sense out of a hard-spun mare. Oh, yeah, that's just the way they're built. Now, now when I asked... I asked Harry Weiner about this today, and he said part of that was in the most recent sale, which was in May. Think about what was going on in May. You couldn't go to sales, right? Yeah, I know, but that's bullshit. So, yeah. so what's wrong with him? What's, why did he only go 
went for 35-75, RNA at 87, and went for 26. Uh, that's gotta be, circle, he didn't bet out. Something's wrong with the picture. Number one. Well, I mean, it doesn't mean that, you know, he can't do something. But what it could be watching this, it, it, the big bone right back here, the big bone, I, I, I got a feeling he's got stifle issues. Just looking at him and the way he's moving, he's got stifle issues. He's built wrong behind. So does that mean he has to expend that much more energy to achieve what he they want out of him, right? Um, let me see something really quick. Well, you guys, He's not an efficient runner. Well, so Ron, what you're talking about is when you get when when you don't go off by what the consigner gives you on the vet report and says, "Oh, everything is clean" because it's not going to be. So you have your own vet go through the x-rays. And when you have your, your, your x-rays, um, you, you start seeing that, that a horse has, you know, um, issues in the stifles. Some have issues in the, in the hocks. They don't promote that. They don't tell you that. So it's all about you looking at your own vet. And your own vet will tell you, I pass it or I don't pass it. You're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do surgery. You're going to have to re, you know, take the chips out. Um, I think with Capo Kane, the way he blows the turn is his hind end on the left is not allowing him to take that turn. It's like I said, it's like you having a ball tire on a one, of the, one, of, one of your cars is ball tire. We've all had those, right? We all, the misaligned. And what happens? Where does your wheel pull? Left or right, depending, right. Same thing with horses. Horses don't have differentials. They have to really deal with the centrifugal force when they turn. And when they turn, if they have any kind of weakness on any part of that bone, they have a tendency to drift or not push off right. He doesn't push off right coming into the stretch. Therefore, he ends up, ends up fishtailing is what he's doing. That's uh, I've, uh, Yeah, I, I, I feel validated, but I don't know. I didn't know why. And it, and it then follows into what Harry Weiner told me today. I asked him, has he been able to correct that or is he trying to? And he did say, well, okay, well, with some stick work in the morning, he thinks he's got it solved. Yeah, I dare, you know, and that's the problem in this game that people don't want to tell you the truth. You know, he spent 26000 on a good horse. He got a good horse. He did a good job. Just tell the truth. Yeah, I bought him with some physical issues, you know? that I had to overcome. But I'm going to tell you one thing. Horses overcome physical issues. You know, everybody wants a per perfect, pristine horse. You're not going to get a perfect, pristine horse. Can both things be true here? I mean, he didn't, he didn't aver to you the physical he issues. He fixed it by going into that, to that, to that stifle with, uh, with okay. uh, idolonic acid or even Depramadrol. Okay. You know, trainers to me are about as as slippery as politicians. <laughs> you know, so to me, what I see there is a horse that could have some structure, some issues that may not allow him to. Now, what that horse did, he sprinted first time around one turn, did the same thing. Second time out, did the same thing. And third time out, when he went back to one turn, he did the same thing. So I don't care if he tells you that Mother Teresa put a blessing on him. No. <laughs> I will say this. You're talking about a horse that was second on a wet fast. And by the way, if you want to do a separate podcast and a Zoom call, let me get on my soapbox about wet fast. Uh, but it was an off track. Wins on a fast track wins on a muddy track and we're going to see a sloppy track in all likelihood Saturday for you the know, winners. But I don't put, see, I don't, it's another thing. Stop looking at what they name those tracks. Wet it's, fast is bullshit. It is. It's, it's, it's a wet track and every track is different. Every single wet track is different. Some may be oily and greasy. Some of them may be, may be hard underneath like here in Florida and wet on top. Uh, it, it, 
I've been at San Anita when it was hard as a rock and wet on top. And I've been at San Anita when it's like, and Steve Turlock can tell you how many times you can go on that track and, I, and how greasy it is. Just greasy. Stop paying attention to the splits on, use your eyes. Come on, every one of you guys can look at a race, you know, and, and not look at the splits. And you know whether they're going fast or slow. Let me tell you something. If you think you can look at the splits and tell, tell me that you, whether the horse is doing it easy or not, by looking at the splits, how do you know the average for that level? How do you know whether it's faster or normal for that level alone? You don't. Remember what, I, what did I say about official, originate, uh, original, that was behind Capo, uh, that was behind um, Capo Kane? Am I right? Yeah, it was behind Capo Kane. I said, he's not traveling well on the dirt at all. You could tell down the backside. So I don't, can't look at a time and tell me that, you know, that he got, you know, that he, that he couldn't keep up with the pace. He was never handling the track, period. So more you pay attention by using your visual skills. Let me ask you guys. You guys, every one of you drives, right? A car or a truck, right? Not often lately, but yes. Um, how many times you can tell a guy that's going by you is going really fast? All the time. All the time. Same thing with horses. You know your speed. You know you're going 70, and the guy doubling up on you, you've got to be going 90. You're going to be pretty close. And also, your first intuition, your first thing that pops in your head is usually going to be right. The thing, the second or third time when you try to analyze it, you're going to be dead wrong. How many times you call a photo the first time and you're right, and the second time you start thinking you were wrong? All the time. Your brain moves faster than your analytical thoughts, period. Your brain automatically already analyzed and gave you a gut feeling. The reason people are always wrong when they start taking, making their, their, their knee-jerk reactions is because they're dealing with their emotional part of them, not their, their, their um, intellectual part. I fancy myself as being a very strong, intuitive person. When I look at a race, I use my intuition. Start using your intuition. How many of you meet somebody for the first time and you go, God, I can't stand this guy? Right, I see I'm, people I'm, look at me and say that, Bruno. Most people look at me and uh, offer that look. Who was it that said that? Uh, Fletcher. Flatter. Fletcher. Fletcher? Fletcher. Right, Fletch. <laughs> I just heard your name, Fletch. I'm, Fletch. I, I'm confused. I'm sorry. Ron Flet Fletcher. How many of you... <laughs> how many of you meet somebody and just have a feeling that this person is not altogether what you expected or you want, you, you would, would deem to be decent or whatever it is. And how many of you are right in every single time? I've never been right in anything every single time. I try to be non-judgmental about people. You know, they get to be what they want as long as they're not, as long as they're not rude. So Kevin, You've never met somebody and said, I don't like this guy. There's something wrong. There's something wrong here. It's not right. Yeah, I, get, I know what you're talking about. Saying, no, you, you, talking about. You're misunderstanding, Kevin. I'm not saying judgmental. I'm saying using your intuition on something. You're walking down the street, and you know, you, you know it's not like, and nowadays you got to worry about anybody you come across on the street in a way. You're walking down the street and you go, I don't want anything to do with this guy. This guy walking towards me. No, sir. You move yeah. I, okay. Stuff. I got you now. I know the guy, what you're talking about. You know that they're bad. They're up to something. Something's going down. It's the, the tension or something in the air. And you got to trust your gut when that happens. Exactly. It's like, I do that with Joe a lot. I'll be walking with Joe. Well, I mean, this is true, Kevin. You know, Joe's a big, powerful dog. He's, he's powerful. And as much as I would try to control him, I can't. So 
I'm walking towards like the other day we're at the pet store, right? And there was, and I saw him from the distance and it's a big, white, huge boxer. Okay. Big dog, beautiful dog, white with a big white nose. I mean, pink nose, it was beautiful. But from the distance, I noticed he was wearing a um, muzzle. So right away, I, I used my intuition and I said, I don't want anything part of that dog. Joe looked at him, wanted to go towards him because Joe's a really friendly, friendly dog. No, 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 no. I turned him around, you know, and made him, we walked around to the other aisle. I didn't want any part of that dog. So we went around the aisle. He was gone from that aisle. I walked up the aisle towards the cash register. As I started to come around the turn, the young kid of the family had the dog. And he's like three feet from me. And he, he, he lunged trying to bite Joe. You know, Joe is a really, so now I'm in the position that I didn't want to be in. But I knew exactly already when I saw that, I already had my idea and I was already pulling Joe back. And Joe, back, and Joe, who's not an aggressive dog, lunged right back. He was like, no, you don't. I'm not going to take your crap. So my whole point is I saw that in, you know, in, in, not in retrospect, but I saw that, that what that, situation could lead to and i pulled back i just happened to walk into it which is you know but that's what i want you know my first intuition was correct so i'm not being judgmental i'm just making my own judgment into what i'm seeing so i was right but i ended up being wrong because i put myself and joe in that position so when you're looking at things, stop worrying about being judgmental. Use your experience on how to approach something or see something and making and, and understanding what your what your mind is telling you. Don't try to analyze it because once you start analyzing, then you come up with all these things in your head and you and you think, well, maybe I was wrong. I've done that a number of times when they're, they're, the snickerdoodle type dog, right? They're huge. You guys know you ever seen them before? They're huge dogs. They're like a poodle on steroids, okay? Mm. And I don't want any part of them because I've seen them and they get aggressive. So today I took Joe down there and I saw one and I wasn't going to go in. But what I did is I introduced Joe through the fence to him into the area. And they seemed to get along and it worked out okay. But again, my judgment going in was, I've seen this before. I'm going to use my gut instinct and I'm going to walk into it slowly. And that's all I'm saying to you when you're looking at horses. You know, once you start understanding your own intuition and how to move into a certain direction, let your mind tell you, don't try to be analytical. Don't try to come up with pros and cons. If something looks good, it looks good. If something doesn't look good to you, don't go try to find the good things to make it good. People handicap, I think people on a large percentage of basis nowadays, handicaps horses by liking the horse and then making the case instead of making the case and then liking the horse. And George, can I pick on you for one thing? Sure. Okay. Tax. You like the horse and then you made a case for him. Yep. And, and, and I give you all the credit in the world because after the fact, you said, I knew I was wrong. And you knew yep. it. Didn't you? You're right. So what did that teach you, George? Well, you gotta be open-minded. I mean, uh, I, I I just was being bullheaded. I, I I singled him. I actually singled him in my pick five, and didn't work out well for me. But, yeah, you wrote me about that. Yeah. Now you know we got Fletch and Bull over here. We got Fletch over here in the corner, and you your nickname now is Bull. It's a good nickname. 
But but you get my point. Oh, absolutely. I understand that. You know, we've all done it. Um, we've all done it. But the biggest thing you can do is a handicapper. Look, everybody here can read the form, right? Can everybody read? Can is there anybody on this Zoom class that doesn't know how to read the form? No. Charles, you know how to read the form, right? You're laughing. Oh boy, that okay. helps. <laughs> but, but you know what you're looking at. Uh, everybody can read the form. Everybody can see the bullet work. Everybody can see the high buyer figure. Everybody can see the high business figure. Everybody can see the trainer at thirty percent. Everybody. What makes us different is how you take that and how you use it. But the one thing that's unique for each and every one of you is the way you process things and the way and your mind quickly tells you what you need to know. And the key is, is listening. Is listening to what your mind is automatically telling you. Please don't ever like a horse first and then make your case. Right now? Yes, ma'am. Is Don watching Oak Island again? No, it's not on tonight. He had kind of a rough day mentally with, you know, figures and stuff. So he's watching something with a lot of explosions, drinking a <laughs> nice red blend and eating ice cream sandwiches. <laughs> All right, go on. Which can, I we hope can we have some? When can we come over? I, yeah. um... Did he, did he deliver? <laughs> yeah. I just told him he had to mute the explosions because I wanted to say something. And I said, Flatter will scream at me and tell me to mute myself. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Uh, you mean Flatter? My dilemma is... That's Ron Franklin. Is, I'm, I'm pretty data-driven. You know, statistics, you know, the numbers. And what I'm learning is can't hang your hat on that. So I'm kind of have to reprogram myself and... I'm really working on trying to watch workouts and race replays and trying to rethink things. So you've helped me a lot with that. But I guess the best analogy I have is I see it, but I don't understand what I'm looking at. And the best. Well, how, okay. Okay. Let's stop right there. You're, you're throwing a lot of stuff out right now. Let's go one at a time. Okay. okay first of all, you're mm -hmm. data driven. Yep. Can you look at a data and have that, spontaneous gut feeling on what you're saying? Sometimes, yes. Okay. Then follow that gut feeling. But I know you being data-driven, and a lot of us that are data-driven, we have a tendency to try to reanalyze the data to come up with the same opinion. Right. Do it once. Do it once. That's it. Second thing, when you look at things and you say you don't look and you don't know what you're looking at, but are you coming up with an opinion? Not quite yet, some of the time. Now, you've taught me a lot about the ears. Uh, I guess my analogy is I love football. I've, I've watched it for decades. I had, you know, I learned a lot about it. So now when I know second and eight, third and four, the ball's high, I see the, I see the quarterback fake to the running back, and here comes the wide receiver around left to right. The very first thing I look at real quick, is the wide receiver going to try to throw it downfield in a trick play? Okay, that's not working. Then my next, next thing is I look and see what the blocking is on the line and how well they're going to do that. And then I look downfield to see who's going to pick up down there. I don't even have to think about that anymore. Okay, do it. Okay, but think about it this way in racing. Instead of looking what the, the wide receiver is doing to throw the ball, you watch first the blocking, and then you can, you can tell that's what he's doing. Right. The blocking, the same thing in racing. Mm -hmm. Watch how a horse just if – if, if, if there's something odd about a horse. For me, it's, it's, I, I go through my own checklist through my head. It's when I see certain horses, and they're walking for me, and, and I go through a checklist through my head, and I, and I can see things. It wasn't always like that. I had to work hard at it. You know, I had to work hard and, and, and take a look at head-ons and, and things. And, and it becomes an easier way to... I went through a stage where it was like, you know, 
like yearlings, you can't go look at yearlings between February and and maybe eight and May. Because if you go look at your yearling between February and May, they look like a donkey. Their ears haven't grown. I've grown out. Their face hasn't, their body hasn't grown. They look like freaking donkeys, I swear. I've gone, I, so now I've learned that automatically, if I'm going to go look at my horse, I either look at it at the end of November, December, and then I go look at it in June. I don't want to look because when you get them in the middle of that stage, you're completely thrown off. Right. Number two. I already know that. Now you got to do now is just keep watching. And then, you know, if the horse has entered, see what I wrote. Kind of make your own notes on the workout. And that way you can kind of then compare to what I have written. And you get an idea how close you are. Right. There's... I'm going to tell you, 80% of works don't mean anything. Claiming horses don't mean anything. So you got well, to play with that, too. Okay. It's just I need to have a better educated eye, and I'm working on that. So, but, you know, it's kind of like. see, I applaud you for that. Mm-hmm. I applaud you for that. You know, you really deserve that because it takes a lot of work to do that. I know. And with. The information that you've given us and backed up with some of the visual evidence, I've now got more courage to like throw out the favorite. You Good. know, where you always had to put it in. So anyway, I don't take any more time, but you, you're too No, 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 you keep going. So why so when are you throwing out the favorite? Uh sometimes I'll decide to do it when I look at the form. I'm going, I'll think I just don't think this horse is fast enough. I don't think this is his distance. Uh, I don't think maybe he's quite in as good form now. He's coming back. Anyway, it, I look at all that and then, uh, I'm starting to look at the race replays and then things like you, uh, particularly in certain instances that you've told us or things that you've written, I go back to when you said art collector was not a good bet. Remember that? And he did, he ran terribly. So it's, it's a process. But I'm having to change my process, and it's hard, but it's kind of exciting. You're having fun with it, aren't you? Yeah, I'm having a lot of fun. I love this. Yeah, it's like it's like you got a new toy. Yeah. Yeah. Really, can we segue from that false favorite idea there to what we were talking about earlier about how to utilize a valid chalk in, the, in making your tickets? There's such thing as bad chalk, and there's such thing as good chalk. The first thing about, about chalk is stop looking for the chalk. Stop looking for it. Because when you start trying to beat a particular horse because you think it's the favorite, you're going to lose. You're going to lose because you are OCD in on a obsessive compulsive behavior on beating the favorite because you have been beaten in the head. I can't play the favorite. I can't play. You hear all these jokers. Oh, I can't play the favorite. Well, you know what? They're going to play the, the third choice is at seven to two. They're going to push that horse. And all of a sudden that horse gets bet down five to two to two to one, goes off the favorite and you're on the favorite and he gets beat and you bet the chalk. Stop looking at it that way. Stop looking at chalk as being, you know, you know, the big elephant in the room. Look at the horse. How many times you see handicappers sit there before the race and tell you, I'm betting this horse because he's speed and he's going to be in front and I don't like the other speed horses. He's going to go to the lead. And all of a sudden the horse stalks in third and fourth and comes up the inside and wins going away. Stop trying to figure out where the dang horse is going to be. You have zero control. You're not the rider. You'll never be the rider, period. And you'll never see the race as a jock. So, again, people will do that. 
they'll not look for the they're looking to beat the chalk and they're looking to tell you where that horse is going to be i think that's insanity you once the gate opens not even a jock knows what's going to happen he reacts to everything that's in front of him when you get in your car to go drive on the freeway I'm going to sit in the first lane for about three miles. Then I'm going to be in the second lane for eight miles. And then I'm going to come back to the, the, the first lane for the rest of the trip. No. No, you don't do that. You react to what's out there. And it's the same damn thing in a race. So stop trying to have an idea and betting a horse because you think he's going to be three wide at the three-eighths pole. Well, guess what? He won't be three wide at the three-eighths pole. He'll probably be down inside. And then you're going, how did he get that? How many times you guys have done that? How did that horse get on the rail? How did he find the rail? So that's another mental part and mental mistakes a lot of handicappers do. It makes you sound – I watch those guys on these television trying to tell you exactly the way the race is going to run. Now, if you think a horse is going to shoot to the lead and take a lone F, then okay. So that's another mistake you can make is not only playing to try to beat the chalk because you don't know who the chalk's going to be by the end of the, by, by, by the, end of, uh, the, the right at post time. And stop trying to figure out where a horse is going to be. If you like a horse, you like the horse because you know he can sit off the pace. You know he can do he, – he's versatile. He's coming into the race well. The one thing you need to, to really work on is how to assess sharpness and current form because horses that are sharp will beat a classier horse every single time. If your class horse isn't doing right, he ain't going to win. And I don't want to hear, oh, if he'll beat this field if he's 70%. No, he won't. Well, I think you also have to accept that there's just – Things that you can't handicap. Right. Shit happens. Right. The speed horse is on the outside. It bolts out. It, it veers out at the start. Doesn't get the lead. You're on the lead. How did my horse get the lead? What's he doing? What's that jock doing? How many times you hear a guy say, what is he doing? What is he doing? You know what he's doing? He's doing what he always does. He's a jock. He's riding horses. You over here are always doing the same thing, and that's questioning what they do. And then you're sitting there at the eighth pole going, come on, three, come on, three, come on, three. You know? That's the insanity. You spent half of the race bitching over the rider, and then down the stretch you're asking him to go. I, I, my head spins around with that because it doesn't compute. You know? So stop doing it. It's a waste of time. You, you, you're wasting energy, you're wasting emotions, you're wasting everything. And the one thing you're not doing is you're not watching the race for little things. My whole approach to the game is all about the mental part. I can handicap. I can handicap as good as any of you, and any of you can handicap as good as me. But what separates us is the way you interpret little things, the little things. Which, by the way, there's a movie with Denzel Washington on HBO Max now called The Little Things, which is really good. I watched it the other night. It's free if you have HBO Max. But they're right. It's the little things. And if I can bring across to you, not my handicapping skills, but the little things that you see that can make a difference, that will make you a good handicapper. That will, I'm sorry, that will not make you a good handicapper. They'll make you a great handicapper. Well, Ron, I'm going to tell you something. After these handicapping classes on Tuesday nights, I sleep well. <laughs> I'm exhausted. <laughs> I hear you. It makes, I work early in the day and then this comes later. So it makes for a long day, but an enjoyable end to the day. That's how I look at it. I look forward to these every week. I do too. They're a lot of fun and I love, talking to people and enjoying them and I hope they enjoyed it and I hope you enjoyed it tonight. And if you're just stumbling into this podcast and don't know how to get involved with the Zoom classes, sometimes I've heard from people who say, I've stumbled into this because they'll see, I'll like your tweet or you'll put it out on Twitter and it's not necessarily those who are your regular customers 
who are coming and finding the podcast. So I guess the question would be, how do they find the rest of your product? They can go to racingwithbruno.com. If you like to sign up for the newsletter, that'll give you the invite for the Zoom classes on Tuesday night. You go scrolling to the bottom of the site. There's a little form. You put in your email. You turn it in, and bingo, bango, bongo, you'll be with us next Tuesday. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.